Hello, Hopeful. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible. Here, we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in His world. Welcome. In the history of philosophy, which is really the history of people pursuing wisdom, It was in the 17th and 18th centuries, what is called the Enlightenment or Age of Reason, when people began trying to explain material and spiritual realities separately. Of course, nowadays, spiritual reality is denied altogether or given a tip of the hat that is amorphous, if not meaningless. But my friends, true disciples of Jesus recognize that God affirms both spiritual and material realities as created good, both affected by sin, and both redeemed ultimately in the person and work of Jesus. Which is why true disciples worship with their lives, not merely their lips. And here we go with episode 2071. Welcome to today's part of our journey together through the Bible. And talking about the big questions in light of the big story and considering our own life and work stories along the way. In our time in Luke, in our New Testament readings, we've been hearing about the controversies that arise from the world being confronted by the person and works of Jesus. And today we hear as that narrative transitions from that into Jesus teaching disciples to be, well, disciples. Luke chapter 16. Now he said to the disciples, There was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So he called the manager in and asked, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you can no longer be my manager. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. A hundred measures of olive oil, he said. Take your invoice, he told him. Sit down quickly and write fifty. Next he asked another. How much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat, he said. Take your invoice, he told him, and write eighty. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age, catch this, for the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. And I tell you, Make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, will you tr- who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, Who will give you what is your own? No, no servant can serve two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve both God and money. Pause. My friends, if you didn't catch yesterday's Practice the Way segment here on the podcast, uh, it was Practice the Way number 219. Go catch that one. It talks about that whole love-hate thing that we were just hearing here in a different context. All right, picking back up. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and scoffing at Jesus. And he told them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. The law and the prophets were until John, and since then the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed, and everyone is urgently invited to enter it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter in the law to drop out. Everyone who divorces his wife and remarries another woman commits adultery, and everyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all of this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house, because I have five brothers, to warn them, so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, the man said, But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But Abraham told him, If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. And that is chapter 16 of Luke. I just find that fascinating, right? Here's Jesus who says Moses and the prophets says like the Pentateuch and broadly speaking, that phrase refers to what we would think of as the Old Testament. If somebody doesn't pay attention to the Old Testament, they're not going to believe someone rose from the dead. That's ah, just kind of fascinating, I think. So what does that mean for us as disciples, my friends? Well, when we follow Jesus. It's not just about it's not just about propositional truth. It is propositional truth. But our response is worship with our whole lives. All right, turning to our Old Testament segment. 
Yesterday, we heard Zophar in the book of Job dismiss Job's complaints, basically accuse Job of sin, affirm God's wisdom, and, you know, calls on Job to repent, saying, yeah, you must have done something wrong. And we heard Job respond, accepting God's sovereignty, but rejecting what theologians call the retribution principle, right? Do good, you'll be blessed. Do bad, you'll be cursed. And Job, since you're sick, you must have sinned, right? And he we hear him plead to God to reveal himself and declare Job innocent. So today, we hit the second round of speeches. It's back to Eliphaz talking out his yin-yang and, of course, Job responding again. Job chapter 15. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, Does a wise man answer with empty counsel? or fill himself with the hot east wind? Should he argue with useless talk or with words that serve no good purpose? But you even undermine the fear of God and hinder meditation before Him. Your iniquity teaches what you say, and you choose the language of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you, not I. Your own lips testify against you. Were you the first human ever born, or were you brought forth before the hills? Do you listen in on the counsel of God or have a monopoly on wisdom? What do you know that we don't? What do you understand that is not clear to us? Both the gray-haired and the elderly are with us, older than your father. Are God's consolations not enough for you, even the words that deal gently with you? Why has your heart misled you, and why do your eyes flash as you turn your anger against God and allow such words to leave your mouth? What is a mere human that he should be pure? Or one born of a woman that he should be righteous? If God puts trust in his no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight, how much less one who is revolting and corrupt, who drinks injustice like water. Listen to me and I will inform you. I will describe what I have seen, what the wise have declared and have not concealed that came from their ancestors, to whom alone the land was given when no foreigner passed among them. A wicked person writhes in pain all his days throughout the number of years reserved for the ruthless. Dreadful sounds fill his ears when he's at peace, a robber attacks him. He doesn't believe he will return from darkness. He's destined for the sword. He wanders about for food, asking, Where is it? And he knows the day of darkness is at hand. Trouble and distress terrify him, overwhelming him like a king prepared for battle. For he has stretched out his hand against God and has arrogantly opposed the Almighty. He rushes headlong at him with his thick, studded shields. Though his face is covered with fat and his waistline bulges with it, he will dwell in ruined cities, in abandoned houses destined to become piles of rubble. He will no longer be rich. His wealth will not endure. His possessions will not increase in the land. He will not escape from the darkness. Flames will wither his shoots. And by the breath of God's mouth, he will depart. Let him not put his trust in worthless things, being led astray. For what he gets in exchange will prove worthless. It will be accomplished before his time, and his branch will not flourish. He 
will be like a vine that drops its unripe grapes and like an olive tree that sheds its blossoms. For the company of the godless will have no children and fire will consume the tents of those who offer bribes. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. Their womb prepares deception. Then Job answered, I have heard many things like these. You are all miserable comforters. Is there no end to your empty words? What provokes you that you continue testifying? If you were in my place, I could also talk like you. I could string words together against you and shake my head at you. Instead, instead I would encourage you with my mouth, and the consolation from my lips would bring relief. If I speak, my suffering is not relieved, and if I hold back, does any of it leave me? Surely he has now exhausted me. You have devastated my entire family. You have shriveled me up. It has become a witness. My frailty rises up against me and testifies to my face. His anger tears at me, and he harasses me. He gnashes his teeth at me. My enemy pierces me with his eyes. They open their mouths against me and strike my cheeks with contempt. They join themselves together against me. God hands me over to the unjust. He throws me to the wicked. I was at ease, but he shattered me. He seized me by the scruff of the neck and smashed me to pieces. He set me up as his target. His archers surround me. He pierces my kidneys without mercy and pours out my bile on the ground. He breaks through my defenses again and again. He charges at me like a warrior. I have sewn sackcloth over my skin. I have buried my strength in the dust. My face has grown red with weeping, and darkness covers my eyes. Although my hands are free from violence, and my prayer is pure. Earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry for help find no resting place. Even now, my witness is in heaven, and my advocate is in the heights. My friends scoff at me as I weep before God. I wish that someone might argue for a man with God, just as anyone would for a friend. For only a few years will pass before I go the way of no return. My spirit is broken. My days are extinguished. A graveyard awaits me. Surely mockers surround me, and my eyes must gaze at their rebellion. Accept my pledge. Put up security for me. Who else will be my sponsor? You have closed their minds to understanding, and therefore you will not honor them. If a man denounces his friends for a price, the eyes of his children will fail. He has made me an object of scorn to the people. I have become a man people spit at. My eyes have grown dim from grief, and my whole body has become but a shadow. The upright are appalled at this, and the innocent are roused against the godless. Yet, yet the righteous person will hold to his way, and the one whose hands are clean will grow stronger. But come back and try again, all of you. 
I will not find a wise man among you. My days have slipped by. My plans have been ruined. Even the things dear to my heart. They turned night into day and made light seem near in the face of darkness. If I await Sheol as my home, spread out my bed in darkness and say to corruption, You are my father, and say to the maggot, My mother, or my sister. Where then is my hope, if all this happens? Who can see any hope for me? Will it go down to the gates of Sheol, or will we descend together to the dust? And that, my friends, gets us up through chapter 17. So Eliphaz insists that Job is guilty of sin and deserves God's punishment. And of course, Job disputes his friend's account of suffering and again offers his complaint against God and laments his hopelessness. We're going to turn now to a little longer psalm as our wisdom segment. And this psalm broadly speaking, is all about discipleship, beginning with where we got today's theme. True disciples worship with lives and not merely lips. Psalm 106. Hallelujah. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Who can declare the Lord's mighty acts or proclaim all the praise due Him? How happy are those who uphold justice, who proclaim righteousness at all times. Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to me with your salvation so that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones. Rejoice in the joy of your nation and boast about your heritage. Both we and our ancestors have sinned. We have done wrong and have acted wickedly. Our ancestors in Egypt did not grasp the significance of your wondrous works or remember your many acts of faithful, faithful love. Instead, they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, to make his power known. He rebuked the Red Sea and dried it up, he led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the power of the adversary. He redeemed them from the power of the enemy. Water covered their foes. Not one of them remained. And then they believed his promises and sang his praise. They soon forgot his works and would not wait for his counsel. They were seized with craving in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. He gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease among them. In the camp, they were envious of Moses and of Aaron, the Lord's Holy One. The earth opened up and swallowed Dathan. It covered the whole assembly of Abiram. Fire blazed throughout their assembly. Flames consumed the wicked. At Horeb, they made a calf and worshipped the cast metal image. They exchanged their glory for the image of a grass-eating ox. They forgot the Lord their Savior, who did great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awe-inspiring acts at the Red Sea. So he said he would have destroyed them if Moses, his chosen one, had not stood before him in the breach to turn his wrath away from destroying them. 
they despised the pleasant land and did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their hearts and didn't listen to the Lord. So he raised his hand against them with an oath that he would make them fall in the desert and would disperse their descendants among the nations, scattering them throughout the lands. They aligned themselves with Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. They angered the Lord with their deeds and plague broke out against them. But Phineas stood up and intervened and the plague was stopped. It was credited to him as righteousness throughout all generations to come. They angered the lords at the water of Meribah and Moses suffered because of them for they embittered his spirit and he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples and the Lord had commanded them, but mingled with the nations and adopted their ways. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. So the land became polluted with blood. They defiled themselves by their actions and prostituted themselves by their deeds. Therefore the Lord's anger burned against his people, and he abhorred his own inheritance. He handed them over to the nations. Those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were subdued under their power. He rescued them many times, but they continued to rebel deliberately and were beaten down by their iniquity. When he heard their cry, he took note of their distress he remembered his covenant with them and relented according to the abundance of his faithful love. He caused them to be pitied before all their captors. Save us, Lord our God, and gather us from the nations so that we may give thanks to your holy name and rejoice in your praise. Blessed be the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Hallelujah. My friends, disciples worship with their lives and not merely their lips. Disciples care about God's people and not merely themselves. Disciples practice repentance, not self-righteousness. And disciples glorify God and not themselves. I love you. May we learn together. Amen. Amen.